0: Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to MyTake Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com/mytake, forward and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter MyTake, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of MyTake Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now.
1: This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. <gasps> yes.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: What is up, guys? My Take Radio episode 137 for Thursday, April 26, 2012. The intro music you just heard was Daniel Bryan's Ride of the Valkyries. You can probably find that on iTunes in the WWE music section. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number 347-324-3541. If you want to leave any feedback, you can hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. Alright, we got a lot to discuss. We got tons of shit to take care of on the show. First off, I wanted to start off by saying that we have reached our goal of breaking 3,000 fans on Facebook. want to welcome all the new fans that have come on the MTR bandwagon lots of great stuff lots of great exciting stuff planned for you in the coming weeks. I'm really glad to see that we are well over 3000. It wasn't hitting 3000 and tapering off. It was smashing 3000, whooping its ass, going up into thir- into the 3200s, I believe we are at right now. It's it's insane. It makes me extremely happy. Usually I could come on the show and and I and I bitch and I give you guys a lot of garbage about tons of stuff, but I am happy for the continued support that you guys give MTR, all of our staff. And we're going to keep growing. It's just great to reach that milestone. I can sit here and say that the next target is going to be reaching 4,000 fans. But that's a complete crock of horseshit. I'm not settling for 4,000. I want 5,000 fans, and the goal is to hit that just in time for the MTR anniversary this summer. So 5,000 fans is the target. Like I always say, if you got somebody that likes MMA, video games, movies, pro wrestling, um, a little potty mouth toilet humor to go in there once in a while, definitely recommend us. We we have a lot of fun here as best as we can, and most importantly, we do a lot of great stuff on mytakeradio.com. Currently, we have Slick working on a review for Prototype. We got some new stuff coming from from the boys that bring you Buried. Uh, We're going to have some stuff for the Walking Dead game as well, which Slick is working on. I got some stuff in the hopper as well. And you'll be seeing uh, some video, some vid capture stuff on MTR TV starting next week. I think we're going to take the MyTakeRadio.com first impressions, and I'm going to start using that for demos, doing a little bit of commentary on the demos, throwing them up on YouTube, having a few laughs with that. Nothing too crazy, a little lighthearted. so don't expect groundbreaking journalism reporting live from the butthole of America. It's going to basically be, hey, here's this game, I'm playing the demo, I think it sucks, or I think you should buy it. Simple as that. Little five-minute videos until I get really comfortable with this YouTube shit, because there's so much stuff behind the scenes that goes into YouTube, especially since I started talking to the guys from the GFQ network, Andrew Zarian and those guys, and they've kind of been coaching me along. I've been watching how they do video, and I really am going to make the plunge into video very soon, and we will be able to do some crazy stuff with video. Also... Uh, Blog World is in June. Be on the lookout for some MTR stuff there. We may be broadcasting live from Blog World uh, in conjunction with the guys from the GFQ Network. We'll see how that goes. That's going to be June 5th, 6th, and 7th. At the top of the broadcast, you heard about the Stitcher app. Just a quick reminder, as always, uh, go to stitcher.com forward slash my take. enter the promo code, and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of Stitcher and mtr my take is the promo code all one word our get glue check-ins i believe we're over 150 so really pumped that people are still using stitcher our t-shirts make sure to stop by the mtr t-shirt store and pick up some stuff there and as always we got the amazon affiliate store we got a great crew of advertisers on the website now wwe shop zone we got the ufc store hbo busted tees And there's a couple of advertisers we're working on as well. As usual, I know many of you have tons of fucking ad blockers on, and I understand that. But like anything else, the ads are there not to be intrusive, but to generate revenue for the show. So if you shop through Amazon, visit our affiliate store. If you're a UFC fan and you buy stuff from the UFC store anyway, click our banner. Same thing with ShopZone, etc., etc. Self-explanatory. I really don't got to break it down for you guys and um guests we are going to have a slew of guests probably starting in the month of may we got some stuff going on with combat zone wrestling locked up some voice talents maybe some movie act some film actors some tv actors everything is coming together slowly it's a lot of work behind the scenes but that's the scoop with regards to that mtr behind the mic and beyond the mic will also be recorded next month tons of stuff going on there And probably third week of May, we're going to take another uh, self-imposed non-live show week doing pre-recorded shows. Last time we did MMA and wrestling. We're going to do two pre-recorded shows dedicated to video games and movies, either solo or with a guest or with even one of the members of the MTR staff. Who knows, but that's probably going to be happening the third week of May and maybe once in June just to uh, switch things up a bit. Simple as that. All right, tonight we're going to discuss Jones versus Evans. We're going to talk about the fallout of Alistair Overeem's uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing. We're also going to talk about Monday Night Raw, a little bit about the Hogan sex tape, because images of that are circulating around the web, and they're a little disturbing, but the crazy shit is, who is the woman in the video, and what's the story behind that? We're also going to talk about the losses that Nintendo posted um recently and of course everybody all of a sudden is all gloom and doom with it i'm going to give you my take on that we got your movie news and as always feel free to call in 347 uh 3473243541 so with that we're not going to waste any time and we're just going to jump right into the MMA segment for this week cuz there's a couple of things i really want to touch on let's get this started yeah! All right, this week's Ultimate Fighter, I figured I'll start with this first since it's quick and painless. Uh, Vink Pichel was taking on John Kofler from Team Faber. Uh, very solid card from start to finish. I mean, a very solid fight from start to finish. Kofler definitely looked the aggressor in the first round, but uh, Vink Pichel was no pushover. He actually had a really good second round, but the third round was all Pichel as he secured a... Head and arm choke and choked out good old John Cofer for Team Faber. So now, right, we got one, two, three guys from Team Faber out. Uh, Team Cruz is doing very, very well. Next week, Sam Cecilia is taking on Chris Saunders. I do want to say, and we've touched on this before, this particular episode wasn't complete bullshit like usual. It was a little bit more... I don't know, I just felt a little bit more in, in tune with the regular Ultimate Fighter broadcast. I mean, you know, it, the formula's just not 100% working. Maybe it's just the way it's being filmed, or maybe it's the way that FX is broadcasting it, but just something seems missing. That that polish that was on the Ultimate Fighter on, on Spike TV is kind of out the window. The fights themselves are great, but the build-up to the fights is really not that solid. Other thing I did want to mention is that I'm really behind on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. They've been giving it online so you guys can check it out. But I've been, I, you know, I have I think I'm like two episodes behind at this point. So to jump back in would be a disservice to you guys. If you guys want to know the results, just go to, to any MMA website or head over to um, the uh, Tough website and check it out there. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes. Of this entire MMA segment, Jones versus Evans. I'm not going to go through the entire card. Uh, one thing I do want to acknowledge is that Ben was 100% right in picking Marcus Brimage against Maximo Blanco. Damn you to hell, Ben. Damn you to hell, wherever you are. Um, Brimage did take the fight via split decision. I was very bummed out to see Maximo Blanco lose. Um, another fight that really impressed me, Mac Danzig, Efren Escudero. Uh, Danzig was in there, it was a war. Towards the end of the fight, I don't know if he sprained his ankle or injured some ligaments. It looked like he had a softball in there. I'm surprised he was able to stand and, and finish the fight. Mac Danzig, he secured his victory via unanimous decision. I was very impressed with that, with his performance. I'm a, I'm a big Mac Danzig fan. Nobody gives him a lot of love. I don't know why. He's a solid lightweight, and Escadero's a gamer as well, but what can you do? Some guys just don't mesh well with MMA fans. On the welterweight side of things, Matt Brown, Stephen Thompson, very, very impressed with both of these guys. Stephen Thompson had a little bit of hype behind him. He was 6-0. Matt Brown is the crafty veteran, though. He secured his victory via unanimous decision. And Travis Brown and Chad Griggs was the last fight on the prelims. And it was a definite welcome party for Chad Griggs as Travis Brown hit him with a flying knee to set up a head and arm choke at which point Griggs had to tap first round, 2 minutes, 29 seconds. It was a, a great performance by Brown. That flying knee was disgusting, especially for a guy that's in the heavyweight division. He's uh, about 260, 250, 260, flying through the air, catching him with double knees directly on the chin. Chad Griggs gets respect, though, for taking it like, for taking that knee on the chin like a champion and not going to sleep, but he did end up being... Caught in that submission, and a little you can attribute that a little bit to inexperience. I think Chad Griggs still has a, a lot to go in this sport, and he's, he's a solid guy. He likes to go in there and, and trade in the pocket, so very, very, very impressive. I'm not going to go through the rest of the card because I just want to pick out some of the high points. I was bummed on the bantamweight side of things. Miguel Torres taking on Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald dropped Miguel Torres like a sack of potatoes. First-round KO. It was ridiculous, especially because Miguel Torres came in. He said that he switched his game up, and he, he was gonna debut new offense, new new training regimen, completely new everything. for Miguel Torres came in there though, and he got caught. It's not it's not a dig at Miguel Torres, former former champion. Um, guys, a, guys, an animal, and he's just a, a a cool dude. And I felt bad to see him lose, just because I'm a fan of his work. On the heavyweight side of things, Brendan Schaub got put to sleep as well. Ben Rothwell smashed him, and it was all over. Lights out for Brendan Schaub. And um, on the co-main event, Rory McDonald, who a lot of people are saying is the next GSP, took on Che Mills. Uh, Great performance by McDonald. Ridiculous, ridiculous violence out of that kid. Took it with a TKO in round two. Very, very impressive. And of course, to close things out, John Jones... Rashad Evans, five round slugfest. Uh, John Jones using his incredible reach advantage uh, to keep Rashad Evans at bay. Rashad kept trying to close the distance and get in the pocket. Unfortunately, it was not Rashad's time as John Jones continued to reinforce that he is the future of this sport. Guy was throwing elbows like you throw jabs. It was ridiculous. It was like fighting Dawson in Street Fighter. I think that. Any guy that fights John Jones in order to be successful against him is going to have to work on closing the distance. Not only that, but I think that John Jones really proved that he can take he can take a lot of punishment. Rashad caught him with a couple of great shots, some kicks, some solid punches that look like they may have definitely stunned Jones a bit, but it wasn't on the level of, of him being in danger. But... Rashad Evans, I'm sure he'll bounce back. There's been talk of Rashad dropping down to 185. I think he'd do really good at 185. I, I the, the guy's a, a great wrestler, so cutting the weight shouldn't be an issue. And frankly, all that's left now is John Jones, Ben um, Ben Henderson, Dan Henderson, which I'll talk about later on in the segment, as a fight that we will be looking forward to. But as much as I like Hendo and as much as I know that he has tremendous punching power... Once again, he's going to have to break through that reach advantage that John Jones has to connect with that H-bomb to put him to sleep. Will that happen? We'll find out. Last but not least, I did want to touch on Bellator 66, which was on Friday, and um, there were a lot of great fights on that card. I just wanted to acknowledge uh, Andreas Spang. He was a last-minute replacement that took on Brian Rogers in a super competitive middleweight bout for the... um, in the semifinal well, the middleweight semifinal bouts and Rogers had Spang in trouble in the first round a little bit in the second round Spang looked really good in the first, but in the second round Rogers had him in trouble and then out of nowhere, just a ridiculous TKO for Andreas Spang. Awesome performance. Um, I'm actually going to see if I'm going to have him on the show in the next few weeks. I I was very impressed. He came out um, especially because he looked to be in danger in that second round. He just came out and put Brian Rogers to sleep super impressed with that. Also on the lightweight side of things, Eddie Alvarez taking on the legendary Shinya Aoki. I expected this fight to go the distance. It was not the case. Eddie Alvarez doesn't get paid by the hour. Put Shinya Aoki to sleep at two minutes and 14 seconds of round one. And we also had some women's MMA action as well as Jessica I took on Anita Rodriguez. Uh, Jessica I took the victory via unanimous decision. So, Great night of fights from Bellator, as always. You can watch Bellator fights on MTV2, Epics, and you can see their prelims on Spike TV. Now let's get into the MMA news for this week. Bonuses got handed out for UFC 145. Ben Rothwell took home $65,000 for his knockout of the night. Submission of the night went to Travis Brown, and fight of the night went to Mark y- Mark Hominick and Eddie Yagen. They took $65,000 apiece home. Also, the Georgia Athletic and Entertainment Commission disclosed the payroll for UFC 145. Just wanted to touch on a couple of payroll uh, issues that I noticed. Not not anything crazy. Just the fact that that some of these guys are making serious money. Jon Jones made four hundred thousand dollars for his fight. Rashad Evans made three hundred thousand. Rory McDonald made thirty six thousand dollars. That included an eighteen thousand dollar win bonus. Uh, Chay Mills, who he defeated, made $8,000. Ben Rothwell took home $104,000. That included a $52,000 win bonus to Brendan Schaub's $14,000. Mark Bocek took home $46,000. That had that included a $23,000 win bonus. These guys are... Most of them are clearing... I, I'd like to say most of them are almost clearing $10,000 with the exception of Che Mills making 8000 but... And uh, Stephen Thompson as well made $8,000. There's some serious bonuses being handed out, not to mention the Fight of the Night knockout and submission bonuses as well. Of course, these figures don't include deductions for insurance, licenses, taxes. It doesn't include money paid by sponsors and um, any sort of discretionary bonuses as well, which were, like I said, Fight of the Night, Knockout of the Night. Those aren't included. This is just base pay. A lot of fighters make most of their money through the sponsorships that they got going in there, the t-shirts, the shorts. So some of these guys probably took home. I think John Jones in particular, he made $400,000 just for the fight, not counting his UFC sponsorship. He probably may have taken home, uh, you know, over $500,000, probably in, in the high sixes, maybe even sevens, considering the implications of that fight. Moving on, we got some Fedor news this week as M1's Global Director of Op- of Operations, um, Evgeny Kogan, announced on Twitter that Fedor will be fighting June 21st in Russia. He'll be taking on Pedro Rizzo. Now, I got a couple of issues with this. Obviously, I understand M1, Fedor has a stake in the company, but Fedor fighting in Russia and fighting all over the world, and not to say that he's fighting cans, but he's not fighting top 10 competition. We At this point... Fedor really should be fighting in the UFC. It's, it's an embarrassment that nobody, that, that these guys have so much pride. And I'm saying M1. Dana White to a degree, but M1 as well. Where you have a guy who, regardless of what you think of Fedor, whether you think he's a fucking bum or overhyped or a legend, the fact is that his importance in the heavyweight division is something that you just can't gloss over. The guy is a legit legend. He can still go in there and and hang with some of these guys. Personally, I think that he'd do better fighting at 205. Given his size, he's going to be a smaller heavyweight like he's always been. But I think him at 205 would be amazing to see. Uh, I'm not saying put him in there with John Jones next week, but you can get a lot of great fights out of Fedor at 205. And Fedor at heavyweight is is also good. Don't get me wrong. Cain Velasquez, Frank Mir, um, Chet Congo. The list goes on. Pat Barry, Pat Barry and Fedor, I'd love to see a fight like that. That would be insane. Only because those guys like to stand in the pocket and trade, but there's too much pride on the line, and I really think that Fedor has a place in the UFC, simple as that, but until until these guys get off their high horse, who knows what's going to happen. Speaking of the UFC, there's been a lot of shuffling with a lot of UFC cards, Obviously UFC 146 got co- practically overhauled after the announcement that Alistair Overeem was not going to be fighting on the card due to him having a 14 to 1 testosterone ratio. So he is officially out of UFC 146. What happens now is Frank Mir is stepping up to fight Junior Dos Santos for the belt. Kane Velasquez is going to be meeting Bigfoot Silva. They've also shuffled around a couple of things as well. Roy Nelson will now be facing Gabriel Gonzaga since Antonio Bigfoot Silva is fighting Cain Velasquez. Gonzaga was going to face Shane Del Rosario, but Del Rosario will now be taking on Stipe Miosic who is a friend of Fight Insight Radio hosted by our friends um Gary and Spill Bag of Ice. So, definitely a great card for the heavyweights UFC 146 that's May 26th in Vegas. So, if you're, if you're a fan of the heavyweights, this is going to be the card for you. This is practically a heavyweight Grand Prix in the making. Also, on the prelims, we got a couple of good fights. C.B. Dalloway, Jason Mayhem Miller, um, Mike Brown is taking on Daniel Pineda, Edson Barbosa, and Evan Dunham is going to be awesome as well, as is Mark Hunt and Stefan Struve. I think that's going to be a fight where these guys are going to come in, they're going to exchange, and you got some great kickboxing between both fighters, But Mark Hunt may put Stefan Struve to sleep. Easy as that. And as I mentioned, Dana White confirmed that Dan Henderson will be Jon Jones' next opponent. As of right now, no date has been confirmed for that fight. But it may be happening at UFC 149. So, take that with a grain of salt. Also, they had to make some changes for UFC 148. Um... Chael Sonnen and Anderson Silva were supposed to meet at UFC 147, but there's some stuff going on with the UN in Brazil during that time, so there's going to be a lot of security, which, of course, they're going to need for Chael Sonnen in Brazil, so they decided to move that fight to UFC 148. Vanderlei and Vitor Belfort will fight at UFC 147, and there's also the possibility that Jose Aldo will be fighting on that card as well. So we'll see what the deal is with that. Alistair Overeem got pulled out of the uh, UFC title fight and his hearing was actually Tuesday. And I had the opportunity to watch some of the hearing online. Basically Alistair Overeem's doctor gave him um, an injection and actually gave him one injection in his office, gave Alistair Overeem an injection that he administered himself for an injury he had. And according to the doctor, the medication that was in the injections Contained testosterone to accelerate his hearing. I mean, his healing, excuse me. Now, the issue with this, obviously, besides the fact that testosterone was included to accelerate his hearing, uh, his hearing, ugh, his healing, the other thing that we did learn at the hearing, there we go, was the fact that the doctor also worked for the Texas State Athletic Commission. So there's a lot of crazy, crazy shit going on. That doctor's being investigated. The Nevada State Athletic Commission concluded their hearing by not approving Alistair Overeem's application for licensing and told him that he can only reapply in nine months. They also made it clear that Alistair Overeem cannot fight anywhere else during this period. Simple as that. Alistair Overeem last fought in December when he KO'd Brock Lesnar and sent him to the WWE. The earliest that he can get back in the cage is January 2013, but he'll have to file his license in Atlanta, in, Atlanta, in Nevada first. Now, the, the the crazy shit about this is the fact that you're a professional athlete. A doctor is administering medication to you. It is your job as, a, as an athlete to ask the doctor what drugs are being put in into your body it's not like hey here take this random injection of jesus juice which is going to give you wings and make you three times larger than you already are he he would have had a better chance of, of saying that he got hit with gamma rays like the hulk and that's why his testosterone was so high while i understand the defense of the whole thing kind of putting the blame on the doctor any professional athlete knows what goes in their body I'm still a fan of Alistair Overeem. I think he's a tremendous talent. He has a lot of fans. He can make the UFC a lot of money. But let's not fucking kid ourselves. That guy knows what the deal was. You mean to tell me that you're going to go to some doctor who works with an athletic commission and he's going to give you an injection and not specifically break down to you what is in that injection. Not only that, but he is not going to tell you being a commissioned doctor that they may test for whatever is in that injection come the fuck on man even stevie wonder could see that something was wrong with that shit it's it's ridiculous but you know what the argument worked the doctor pretty much was an incompetent fool and the athletic commission really took him to task they really were trying to break him to see if there was any um malicious intent on his part along with alistair overeem turned out that he's just a fucking moron and that the guy who plays the Operation b- board game has better fucking medical acumen than this guy. But Overeem is on the shelf for nine months. There you have it. In some signing news, UFC succeeded in signing Hector Lombard away from Bellator. So now it's going to be very interesting to see what the UFC middleweight division is going to look like with Lombard involved. The guy has a 24-0 and 0 record. He has a 25-0. He has a 24-fight win streak. This guy is violence personified. If you haven't seen the video that uh, Stefan posted on our Facebook fan page, you should check it out. This guy is is ridiculous. He, As soon as that cage door closes and that switch goes on, it's pretty much, I'm going to beat you to death or I'm going to beat you till you stop moving, which is which is always good, so he's going to make a terrific addition to the middleweight division. We'll see how quickly he gets a title shot, but adding him in there is definitely going to change the landscape of that division, that's for sure. In some UFC 149 news, that's going to be taking place July 21st in Calgary. Some fights are starting to be put together for that already. Um, Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira will be meeting Czech Kongo. Yoshihiro Akiyama is taking on Tiago Alves. Antonio Carvajo is taking on George Roop. Brian Caraway is also on that card, as is Mitch Clark. That's going to be happening, like I said, July 21st in Calgary. Now, the last bit of MMA news I want to close out is something very interesting that's been happening, and it involves UFC sponsor Anheuser-Busch, of course, which does Bud Light. And it seems that they are very, very concerned with the sexist and homophobic remarks by fighters in both public and on social media. According to Advertising Age, they stated the following, If the incidents continue, we will act. The UFC did respond with the following, With over 425 athletes on our roster, there have unfortunately been instances where a couple of athletes have made insensitive or inappropriate comments. We don't condone this behavior, and in no way is it a reflection of this company or its values. As an organization, we are progressive in social media, and unlike most other leagues, we encourage athletes to engage online. It is part of our company culture, and whenever you are at the forefront of a trend or initiative, it comes with its own pitfalls. We will continue to embrace social media while looking for better ways to stay in front of the issues. This includes a mandate for our athletes to attend sensitivity training and a seminar on proper use of social media. Well, this is how I see it. You got a sport that's predominantly watched by males 18 to 24. A lot of the athletes that fight in this sport are guys that have come up the hard way. You know, fighting in small crowd in, in small gyms, um, smi- fighting in, in small arenas, making chump change. These guys are getting the opportunity to fight on the grandest stage, and with that comes a necessity for training. I think that the UFC has done a tremendous job with their social media presence. There's never been a time when I can't go on Twitter and reach out to a UFC fighter or any mixed martial artist, whether it's a comment or to book them for a show. The fact still remains that the only way that things like this can can come together and be corrected is through training. And I think the UFC has been doing a great job. A lot of the fighters that have been in the news, you know, Forrest Griffin, Miguel Torres, Rampage to a Degree, um, King Mo, I think a lot of this is just the fighters just speaking freely, uh, expressing emotion. Forrest Griffin, he 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 made a comment. It was in poor taste he rectified it on his own without any assistance from the UFC because he knew he fucked up. The fact still remains that if you're a professional athlete and you're on a public forum like Twitter, you really have to keep in mind that you're representing the company you work for. Even though the Twitter is yours personally, the comments that are expressed there can haunt you. Don't get me wrong, I go on Twitter sometimes and I say some fucked up shit, but I also don't answer to anybody but myself. Now... For argument's sake, if you know we were acquired by, by another company and I still maintained our social media presence, I'm sure that they would have uh, statutes and also limitations as to how we can conduct ourselves through that account. The fact still remains that the UFC is still growing. It's probably one of the most publicly accessible sports with one of the most diverse groups of talents that are easily accessible online, so you really... It, it, it's a process that's going to take time. Simple as that. I understand Anheuser-Busch is concerned, but you know what? You pitch fucking beer. Bud Light, Bud Light Lime, Budweiser, all of that shit is drank by guys. They all get fucking crazy. Uh, you know Your posters have scantily clad women, so don't come in here playing like you guys are holier than thou either. It's fucking bullshit. Simple as that. But I respect them for wanting to protect their investment as well with the UFC because, obviously, the sport is still being heavily scrutinized. We'll see how it pans out. We'll see if the fighters um, get some sensitivity training and if Anheuser-Busch gets their panties out of a bunch. All right, guys, we are going to go right into the wrestling segment for this week, only because we are in in a pretty good groove right now, so we might as well not slow that shit down. And, frankly, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in wrestling that needs to be addressed. Take it away, Booker T. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! Look in my eyes. what do you see? The All right, let's talk about the crazy shit that happened on Raw this week. It was a three-hour Raw. I'm going to kind of breeze through certain parts. I'm not going to say that Raw was complete shit. On the contrary, there were there were a lot of solid moments. Blade and Quark touched on the real shitty moments, which, of course, you can read in um, their article, Buried. Just make sure to look for it on MyTakeRadio.com. Also, I wanted to acknowledge some of the wrestling news this week that kind of tie into Raw a little bit but let's just go right into the opening segment which involved a freshly uh shorn edge pretty much edge came in no longer with the long hair shorn like a sheep had a nice little uh hair dye box haircut right there i mean it was it was all right you know but he cut an amazing promo i think that what made the promo so good was the fact that it had genuine emotion in there i think that the, the angle between Brock Lesnar and John Cena was missing that catalyst, that catalyst that had to come and pretty much slap John Cena in the face and tell him to wake the fuck up and take his balls out of his pocket and not let Brock Lesnar whoop his ass. I think that Edge was a great re- representative of that because he was the guy that's kind of in between the Attitude Era and the PG Era, and his character stayed consistent throughout. I was very impressed just with the way the promo went. John Cena sold it like a champ. Uh, definitely a solid opener. Chris Jericho and Kofi Kingston had an awesome match. Completely awesome. Cork touched on something which I, I have to admit is 100% accurate. Evan Bourne fucked up Kofi Kingston by being a pothead. And I agree with Cork's assessment. 110%. Um... Kofi is a great mid-card talent. He's a guy that you definitely want to push as an ambassador and to reach out to your African-American audience. You can't continuously go and bring in you know, Latinos for your Latino audience. Um, you're getting your international guys in there. But the, Afri- the African-American audience needs somebody they can root for. And don't tell me that it's going to be rooting for our truth because Mystical doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And honestly, he he's not the guy you want to use as that. You you want um and and it's and it's it's really shitty to say, but you want a clear uh, a clear and clean cut African American athlete that you can promote to your audience. And it's not going to be Chaco Cena or or fucking Lamar Odom two or. It's definitely sure as fuck not our truth and David is not even black, so he's not catering to shit, but Kofi Kingston is the guy that you gotta get behind and start pushing him as the face of your organization. He's well-spoken, he's young, tremendously athletic, and not for nothing, in this match with Chris Jericho, he showed that he can hang with the best. It was an awesome, awesome match, super impressed from start to finish. We get a little bit of backstage action with CM Punk and Jack Daniels' gift basket, blah, blah, blah. And of course, speaking of, R-Truth and Little Jimmy taking on Lord Tensai and his house slave, Sakamoto. It was exactly what you would expect, a squash match. Last time I checked, R-Truth was beyond being jobber jobber fodder. He really was. I think that R-Truth is a guy that... He's a veteran in this business, and to feed him to to fucking Prince Albert is ridiculous. I think that you got plenty of guys, not only that, but you can hire local guys to be, you know, the victims for, for Lord Tensai. Stop jobbing out guys that have put in work for your company. Seriously. It's ridiculous. Not only that, but what is the exact direction for Lord Tensai's fucking character? There's no set feud. He's like Brodus Clay. He's the heel version of Brodus Clay. He comes out, does all this shit, but it's leading nowhere. It's, it's ridiculous. We get a little bit of a uh, of a back and forth with Kane. We get a quick appearance from Paul Bearer. He gets thrown in a giant freezer that was mysteriously at this arena. Whatever. Moving on. Alberto Del Rio and Cody Rhodes took on the big show and The Great Khali. I really want to know... Did Cody Rhodes sleep with somebody's daughter accidentally, and he not know about it? Because he is getting sh- he, he is really being shitted on every week. The Big Show and the Great Khali. I don't give a fuck if you dress those guys up in 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 fine in fine fashion and put them out there, and they come out and cut eloquent promos. They suck together. The Big Show is bullshit. And the great colleague can blip, can barely walk. He is a fucking cripple. He is a giant, seven-foot-tall, slurped cripple. That's what he is. I'm sorry, but look, the guy is a cop in India, allegedly. The Punjabi giant is a cop in India. The guy's knees are held together with Elmer's glue. What fucking criminal is he chasing? What, what, what is he? What is, who is he chasing? If you take a guy that steals some fruits from a fruit vendor in India, and the guy goes, Oh my God, they stole my fruit! Kali, Officer Kali, help us! What? Who is he running after? Who? Who is he chasing? Who the fuck is he chasing? Giant lumbering oaf. I can see that motherfucker from nine feet away. Who is he chasing? Who? And before anybody gets there, they're racial undies in a bunch I'm a fucking minority too, so chill out. I always got to throw that out there just in case somebody gets the silly idea that, I, that I'm that i being racist. We all have preconceived notions. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm supposed to stab people, steal hubcaps, abuse the welfare system, and have 26 kids. That's what I'm supposed to do since I'm Puerto Rican. Slick being African American is supposed to eat watermelon, fried chicken, love grape soda... Use incredible amounts of cocoa butter, and wear fake iceberg sweaters. Last time I checked, he doesn't fucking do any of that. He does appreciate chicken, and he does appreciate cocoa butter, but it's not to the ridiculously stereotypical uh, visions that we all have. But, let's be real. The Great Khali is fucking worthless. Him him being in, in this bullshit-ass tag team with the Big Show, neither one of those fucking guys have amounted to shit. Shit. I'm sorry, the Big Show, his time has come and gone because they've made him super fucking comedy gimmick giant guy. That's what he is. He is pretty much a giant Homer Simpson with a belt. That's what what the Big Show is. He comes out, he does some funny shit, he tries to dance with the great Khali or whatever the fuck they do every week. He is worthless. Fuck out of here. Seriously, I'd rather watch Mark Henry come out and put people in the Hall of Pain because at least Mark Henry looks like a believable motherfucker. The Big Show hasn't been relevant since he wrestled in fucking ECW. ECG, 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 ECG. God, have I missed the sound of that? Sadly, that was the last time the Big Show was anywhere near awesome when ECW was around. And uh, this this particular thing I saw on Raw just needs to be addressed. They took a, a quick break, and right before they went to break, they said that The Miz would be meeting Santino Marella in a pre-show match on YouTube at Extreme Rules. So let me get this straight. You're taking your Intercontinental Champion, you're taking the guy who main-evented WrestleMania last year, former champion, and you're having him do the curtain-jerk On YouTube are you fucking kidding me I understand that you're trying to get the whole YouTube thing to to take off but why are you gonna put any kind of a title to be defended on fucking YouTube YouTube it's it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to the Miz who's a solid performer and even to Santino because he has a fucking belt I don't understand who the fuck is writing this shit but it was ridiculous Next, we get a women's title match between Beth Phoenix and Nikki Bella, which I expected to be pretty much Beth Phoenix whooping Nikki Bella's ass. Turned out that Beth Phoenix got injured in the match, which I will address later on in the segment. And your new Divas champion is Nikki Bella. Simple as that. Right after that, we got the CM Punk sobriety test, which was pretty fucking uh, amusing, if I must admit. Next up. Uh, Special guest referee Daniel Bryan with Sheamus and Mark Henry in what was pretty much an angle advancement match. Mark Henry ended up securing the victory. Um, And of course, the quick count from Daniel Bryan didn't help to continue to move the Sheamus feud along. Next up, we had my favorite Puerto Ricans. Primo and Epico, who for some reason WWE thinks that Puerto Rican means Mexican, and we're gonna put giant black ponchos on you with your names written in hood script. It looks like they plucked the fonts from uh, a window tinting place in Corona, which is a, a predominantly Hispanic area by me, and they threw them on a giant fucking poncho. Last time I checked, I don't take siestas, I don't wear a giant fucking sombrero. I don't have guacamole with my rice and beans. And those two fucking guys are announced from Puerto Rico. You're announcing them from Puerto Rico or from the Caribbean. You're not announcing them from fucking Juarez, Mexico. You are announcing them from San Juan or you're announcing them from, from Puerto Rico. Simple as that. But for some reason you're wearing giant fucking ponchos. It is completely, completely out of touch. Those racial overcoats that I talk about, oh my god, they are in full effect. Then you got Rosa Mendez with her terrible, terrible inglesing barrera Spanish. For those of you that knew what I was referencing, I'm sure you guys will get a chuckle. But yo, Rosa Mendez's Spanish is terrible. I think that my cats can meow in Spanish better than that bitch speaks. Don't get me wrong, she's fantastic eye candy. She comes out, she does her little reggaeton video vixen dance and, and all the little Spanish guys, I'm ay mamacita, they get all fucking hype and shit. But come on. Her Spanish is garbage and th- our tag team champions are not Mexican. Besides the fact that once again, jobber fodder as they make them lose to a makeshift tag team of Zack Ryder and Santino Morella. Not to mention the fact that this, of course, is also angle advancement for Abraham Washington to be involved. Now, if this is all leading to him creating a stable of mid-carters that are just going to come out and fuck people up and take all the belts, I'm all for it. And I really hope that that's the payoff. Because if it's not, you guys are making the tag team champions look like complete bitches. Moving on, of course, Brodus Clay and Hornswoggle taking on Dolph Ziggler and Jack Swagger. Now... Props to uh, Quark and Blade in their article for saying that Jack Swagger looks like Biff from Back to the Future. It is a fantastic reference, and you guys need to see the picture to appreciate it as much as I did. I fucking laughed my balls off when I saw it. But you know what was the more disheartening thing? Hornswoggle and Brodus Clay winning. Once again, continuing to bury Ziggler and Swagger. Just burying them. Literally burying them. Brock Lesnar comes out pretty much, holds up, holds John as hostage with more demands, and um, this brings out John Cena, who for some reason, full of piss and vinegar, yo, I got this chain on, and I'm trying to be a bad motherfucker now, that's pretty much the, the extent of what John Cena was working with, I really, you know, I was hoping that this is what we would hear instead of just him coming out. So, you think you're untouchable. Word life. This is basic This is basic thuganomics. <laughs> Word life. That's what I was hoping to hear. You know, we get the, the hood John Cena, maybe some shades of Brubaker, but it's like we're going to come out and we're going to stare at each other. I'm going to clench my teeth really tight and shake my face, and I have a chain wrapped around my fist that I do absolutely nothing with. That's what that succeeded in doing. I will say this. They succeeded in doing one thing right, and that's making the crowd cheer for John Cena, which has been very difficult as of late. But the only reason that they were successful is because they let Brock Lesnar be Brock Lesnar. They let Brock Lesnar be an asshole. They let Brock Lesnar be, you know, the guy that doesn't give a fuck about wrestling and wants to get paid. They pretty much let the guy be himself. His promos still need work. He fucked up like 12 sentences in his promo this week. But it's okay, because I know that little by little it's coming together. But still, you gotta work on this shit, Brock. If you're, if you're hitting up the WWE for $5 million, I don't want to hear you coming, coming out and cutting these fucking mushmouth promos. Get your shit together, homeboy. Simple as that. Let's get into the other wrestling news. First off... I want to talk about something very interesting I saw on Conan O'Brien. I don't watch Conan O'Brien often, but once in a while I leave the TV on while I'm doing show prep and I see a segment. And for some reason, this particular segment caught my attention because it involves Sean Hayes. Now, for those of you that don't know, Sean Hayes plays Larry in the Three Stooges film. And pretty much Sean Hayes went on Conan to complain about his appearance on Raw. He said that he was embarrassed to be on the program, and he added that he would never attend a WWE event. So, here's a guy who's playing a legendary comedic icon in one of the Three Stooges, and he's complaining that he went on a live show to promote his movie, and he got booed. Last time I checked, when you're an actor, you're supposed to adjust to being cheered, booed, etc. you know, it's all part of, I don't know, being fucking famous. Not to say that, you know, the segments and their involvement were a, a good thing or a bad thing, but to go on a show and bash the fact that the crowd booed you and that you were embarrassed to be on the program, I'm embarrassed at the fact that you're pretending to be a fucking stooge, you jerk off, what the fuck is that? It's embarrassing. Oh, I would never go back. I would never attend a WWE event. That's okay. Nobody fucking wants you there. You weren't even the funniest one out of the new Stooges. Will Sasso did a pretty good fucking job. You're just a mook wearing a fucking bowl cut wig. For once this week, I'm going to talk about TNA in a positive light. Frankie Kazarian showed up at the recent TNA lockdown pay per view with a brand new haircut. For those of you that know Frankie Kazarian, you know that he looks like Antonio Banderas, and he has incredibly long hair. But he cut his hair and donated it to Locks of Love, which is a charity that um, uses donated hair to make wigs for cancer patients. That's that's really big of Frankie Kazarian. The guy, you know, he's known for his hair. It's a trademark. So it's really cool he did that. It's a great charity, and it's a, a great thing to do. So props to Frankie Kazarian for doing that. It's cool shit. Now... For every great deed, i got to talk about a real scummy one that occurred. And that's going to involve a uh, recently released Tough Enough winner, Andy Levine. Andy Levine got the boot from WWE Developmental, uh, where he was working as Kevin Hackman. If you don't know Andy Levine, don't be surprised, because he won the return season of Tough Enough in April of 2011. At which point he was sent to WWE Developmental, And um, they were starting to prepare him for the main roster. He was suspended during that time for a wellness violation. So, let's talk about this jerk-off. Let me get this straight. Tough Enough is brought back to create the next WWE star. There were some decent wrestlers on there that had talent and had the makings of, of, of caliber athletes that would be great in WWE programming this fucking Mama Luke comes on the show and, you know, he has his the sob story and all this shit and he looked like he was getting better on Tough Enough and I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't know if he just drank, a he took a fucking stupid pill after the show was over but he became a complete sack of potatoes in the ring, complete shit and he got the boot. I don't understand how you're on a show to be a professional wrestler. You win the show you go too developmental to become a better wrestler, and you still can't get your shit together and get fired. It's you, Dude, you got fired from the fucking minor leagues. How does that happen? How is it that you're number one draft pick and you get fired from the minor leagues? The, the only thing I can tell you is Target or Walmart are hiring. That's all I can tell you. Because you took an opportunity that thousands and millions of fans around the world in their dreams would want, and you tossed it out the fucking window because you couldn't get your shit together. Besides the fact that you got yourself suspended for wellness, how do you get suspended for wellness if you came into the company knowing there was a wellness policy? Once again, you're a fucking jerk-off. Target and Walmart are definitely hiring. So hopefully, that's where you'll end up. Because clearly you don't have a grasp of the fundamentals of professional wrestling. You mean to tell me that you can't fucking put together a bump and a clothesline? Are you fucking serious? You are complete shit. That, waste of, that season of Tough Enough was wasted promoting a fucking guy who amounted to nothing. Andy Levine, you, sir, are shit. And, I, and it's with great pleasure that I got to see Quark bury you in this week's Buried column. I'd love to talk to this guy. I'd be like, dude, how do you take an opportunity so great and you fuck it up? I'm sure he'd get mad and hang up on me and probably say I'm an asshole. I don't give a shit. But it's true. They pretty much handed you this opportunity on a silver platter and you just straight down the fucking toilet. Now, let's talk and let's talk about something completely, completely out of left field, but just as amusing. Let's talk about the Hulk Hogan sex tape, brother. Which, um, they released some pics recently, I'm not gonna say the site, but everybody was asking, hey, who's this chick that's catching the the cock leg drop from Hulk Hogan, who is it? Ladies and gentlemen, the, the woman in this video is Heather Clem, now you're probably asking yourself, who is Heather Clem, and why is Hogan fucking her? Simple. Heather Clem is the ex-wife of Bubba of Bubba the Love Sponge, who of course we all know is Hulk Hogan's hetero life mate. Hulk Here's the here's the here's where the shit gets really scummy. Bubba the Love Sponge allegedly used to say on his radio show that he would offer his wife to personal friends. Obviously Bubba and Hogan are close friends. The Ultimate Warrior Added to this a couple of a couple of months back saying that Hogan would let other wrestlers party with his ex-wife Linda. So so check this out. I'm gonna take my wife, this is Bubba the Love Sponge now. Hey Hulkster, you know, you want a chance to just plow out my wife, you know, because we're friends and all. Sure, brother, I'll hit her with the 24 inch python, brother. Seriously, dude? Are you kidding me? And you didn't, and nobody thinks that this is weird. Nobody. Nobody thinks that you're basically fucking a chick who your best friend fucks at home. But that's not a problem. You're, you're, you're messing with a chick that, you know, might've swallowed your friend's kids the night before. You know, because, of course, she's the ex-wife of Bubba the Love Sponge, so who knows if it was during that gray period where they were separated or whatever. But seriously, if this is a, a woman who you probably had dinner with when, when you went out with your wife and Bubba. Or this is a chick who would come over and offer you a glass of lemonade when you and Bubba the Love Sponge were sitting there finding ways to fuck up other wrestling companies. You know, that woman. But what? And not only that, but I what I want to know is... Who decided to tape this? Hulk Hogan has a body like fucking Mumrah. Nobody would want to see him naked. So who in their right mind told him that would be cool to videotape himself having sex with anybody? Whether with himself, a rubber love doll, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, anybody. No who who said that was a good idea? oh, Hogan, you know, you should make a sex tape. It worked for the Kardashians. It'll work for you. Well, let me tell you something, brother. I'm just going to whip out my balls and put them on her chin, brother. Seriously. Like, like how does that work? How, how the fuck does that work? And he's all shocked, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, Hulk Hogan's embarrassed about the sex tape that got out, and he's embarrassed. Did he tape it? Because that's how it usually works. I sincerely doubt that Heather Clem had this videotape in her possession. Fuck, I wouldn't even doubt that Bubba the Love Sponge was in the closet videotaping that shit or that he was even there. You know, you know, Hulkster, I really think you should turn her over. You know what, brother? I'm gonna turn her over. Turn over, baby. What you gonna do? Come on, seriously. I can't. I can't with a straight face even say that this is Anywhere near cool. Because it's not. Hulk Hogan, you're, you're like a grandfather. Practically. And you got sex tapes out. With the wife of your homeboy. Ugh. Just, just. It it, it it gives me the fucking heaves just thinking about that shit. I'm sure if you Google. Or you use a couple of search engines. I'm sure you'll come across the photos. Look at the horror for yourself. And get back to me. I was actually going to post them and blur out some of the stuff, but I said, you know what, let me not even jeopardize it. Not only that, but I really wanted to keep my lunch, so there you have it. Now, something that um, was reported on WrestleZone and a couple of other sites was Edge's purpose at being on Raw on Monday night. Besides coming out and cutting that really great promo, um, it was said that Edge was there to get his Legends contract. He was negotiating that contract, which supposedly did not go very well. According to what's been said, they tried to lowball Edge in prior negotiations. Shawn Michaels is currently under WWE contract, and he makes $300,000 a year. Mick Foley is also under contract, and is said to be making a little less than Michaels. So, maybe 250000 200000 It's believed that Edge's deal isn't even close to Mick Foley's, which is crazy because Edge did a lot for the fucking company. And not only that, but he's a guy that is still marketable. He's still fresh. You could put him in front of a crowd and they'll, and they'll still pop for him. You can still, you, you can, you can put him to do commentary. You can make him an authority figure and the crowd can get behind that. So the fact that you're not even offering him, you know, 200 grand or whatever, let, let's say Foley's making 200 grand. And they go, you know what, Edge, we're going to give you, you $75,000 a year. For Edge probably makes more money doing fucking movies than, than doing a Legends deal. Seriously? Like, you're going to shit on him like that? It's kind of fucked up. And this week, of course, you probably noticed that Eve had a brand new role, which is going to be as, jo- as a member of John Laurinaitis' administration. That's part of a big push for her. It's been said that Vince is a fan of her work. And he hopes to see big things from her this year. So there you have it. And as for the Bella Twins, to wrap things up, we all know that Nikki Bella won the belt this week, and their contracts are set to expire on the 30th. Now, the reason that they've been planning this is because they want to put the belt on the Bellas to set up for Karma's return to take them out. That way they write them out of out of the storylines and they can start building a big program between Beth Phoenix and karma with a payoff at SummerSlam. If that is the case, I'm all for it. Now the true question is going to be Monday night. If the Bellas keep the belt because if they keep the belt, then they may have resigned or they may have extended their contract for a short period of time to build the angle. If they get destroyed by karma Monday night, then you guys know where this is going. Based on that, I also found out, and PW Insider reported, that Beth Phoenix's injury was not legit. It was actually just really great selling on her part. She got me, that's for fucking sure. Uh, She sold the injury even after Raw was over um, at the airport. All all the wrestlers thought that the injury was legit based on how well she sold it. I was fucking impressed. And I believe that she is um, continuing the storyline on Twitter, so if that's the case, that's really, really great fucking acting from Beth's part, and if this is all a setup for her and Karma to meet up, I'm looking forward to that match as well. Last two bits of news to wrap things up, Buff Bagwell was in an accident recently, Um, he was in a jeep, and his jeep flipped over about eight or nine times, he has a broken neck, his jaw is wired shut, Uh, parts of his face are also damaged, but um, he seems to be slowly improving the organization he was going to wrestle for, UCW, posted on their Twitter that Buff Bagwell is improving slowly. He is off the breathing tube, and they will be doing surgery on his face, jaw, and neck. So I'd like to wish Buff Bagwell the best and a speedy recovery. Um, hopefully, the accident wasn't attributed to, you know, the typical shit, drugs or alcohol, and it was just an accident, and um, hopefully he can he can get out of it, but... That's crazy man. He's jaw, his jaw is jaw's wired shut, his neck is broken. Ugh. Not a good not a good not a good way to be. And the last bit of information that I want to close out with the, this week is Rey Mysterio, better known as Oscar Gutierrez, being suspended for wellness for 60 days effective Thursday, April 26th, straight from WWE's website. Ladies and gentlemen, here's here's the funny thing. Rey Mysterio got injured a couple of months back. I believe he injured his ACL and MCL. Injuries like that take a, a, a long time to heal. And considering how much Rey Mysterio utilizes his legs for his offense. It was best said that he should take his time healing up. Now we all know that there was a plan possibly for him and Sin Cara to have a match at WrestleMania. And for them to try and break the single mask record for the Guinness Book of World Records. Take that with a grain of salt for what it's worth. But either way, Rey Mysterio was not at WrestleMania. He missed the WrestleMania payday, which for considering they had 1.9 million buys, 1.3 million buys, something along those lines, that's a, that's a lot of money that the roster got paid that participated in that event. And sadly, he wasn't one of them. Now, with that said, there's a vacant slot. Sin Cara is injured. There's really no Latino athlete, no Latino face of the company. Del Rio is a heel. Nobody... And I mean, you already see what they're doing with the Goya brothers. Um... What the fuck is Quark writing in here? I said Oscar Gutierrez, better known as fucking Rey Mysterio. Having a heart attack. Fucking Quark. Who gives a shit? Yes, his name is Oscar Gutierrez. He is short. He has fucking minimal hair. And he wears a Louis Vuitton luchador mask. Seriously, who gives a shit? That's his name. Look it up. WWE.com. They posted it. Anyway, as I was saying... Really, I'm gonna have an argument with you in the fucking chat room. Quark, fuck you. Moving on. Anyway. This jackass, Rey Mysterio, injured himself. Was was coming along fine. He He was updating people on Twitter. And, um talking about healing up and his knee was going to be better and he was going to be back and blah, blah, blah. And he gets popped for wellness. <sighs> this dude really in this chat room, whether I said it's Ray Mysterio known as Oscar Gutierrez or Oscar Gutierrez known as Ray Mysterio, who gives a goddamn fuck? You guys got the gist of it. If I said it backwards, who gives a shit? Ugh, really, dude, you're telling me how to run my own shit? Anyway, moving on, this asshole, Rey Mysterio, as I was saying, dude decided to probably, and and again, this is just a a theory I got, a scenario, the fact is, if the guy was well on his way to recovery, one of the things that they use steroids for is to increase um, recovery time, so you can get better faster, simple as that. Since Rey Mysterio realized, hey, you know, I haven't been on TV, I need to get back, I need to get back, I need to get back, I need to get back. And I'm sure that even though the WWE is not telling him, they're probably kind of saying, you know, dude, you know, we really need you back on the road, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, he's going to go, and since they need him, quote, unquote, he's going to pull the trigger and juice or use um, some assistance to rehab. It's unfortunate, and the crazy part is he got pinched for it. Now look, I understand that you have your roster and you got to set examples and whatnot, but you also have to take into consideration the fact that you, the WWE, are responsible for these guys going to these great lengths to get back on the road. As much as nobody wants to admit it, it's your own fault. And I'll tell you why. Mark Henry, wrestling injured. Uh Cody Rhodes was wrestling injured going to WrestleMania. John Cena, God knows, he, he's been, you know, he has little nagging injuries here and there that they've talked about. Let's look at it this way. If you took the time to rest your superstars, and I mean legitimately rest them, whether you write them off or you have alternating rosters or something, if you rested your superstars. Shit like this wouldn't happen. But since you guys have created an atmosphere where your job is eternally on the line, wrestlers are going to go above and beyond to stay on the road. Whether that means abusing painkillers, uh, steroids, growth hormone, somas, uh, ketamine, whatever the fuck it is, you guys created this shit. You did. Every every aspect of this wellness policy was created and manufactured by you guys. And with that come those expectations that, again, you created and manufactured that you put on your roster. Simple as that. Rey Mysterio tried to cut corners to get better, to get back on the road, and guess what? Now your ass got to sit home for 60 days. And you're probably not going to be in SummerSlam. So guess what you just did? You just shot yourself in the fucking foot. Again. Instead of just chilling out and taking your time to get better. I don't know, man. It's just not looking good. And then Sin Cara's also on the shelf. So you, you, neither one of you guys are amounting to shit. Not only that, but this is Rey Mysterio's second strike. If he Third strike and he's out. And you know what? We'll see you in TNA as fucking... You know, Bob Mysterio or whatever the fuck you're going to call yourself. Because that's what's going to happen. It happened to Kurt Angle. It's happened to a lot of these guys. They burn out. They want to stay relevant. They want to stay on the road. Here's what... Here's how I'm going to play it. I'm going to play Armchair Booker for a second. I'm going to pretend I'm running this business. Mark Henry. Injured. Take him off the road. Cody Rhodes, how injured are you? Oh, not too injured? Okay. Let's do a little injury angle. You're off the road for a week or two. Boom, we'll bring you back. X, Y, and Z. And just go down the roster. Do injury angles. Maybe just uh, say that the guy went to train in Japan. Whatever the fuck you got to do to rest your athletes, to rest them. And while you have them on the shelf resting... Maybe you send them out to do promotional work, autograph signing, stuff like that. Nothing too stressful. You bring up your new guys, your Tyler Blacks, your Cassius Onos, etc., your Austin Creeds. You bring those guys up. You put them on the roster. That way, the audience has time to connect with new faces that will be ready, willing, and able to engage those superstars that are on the shelf. It's not fucking difficult. It's it's like basketball where you got your substitutions? Same shit. Oh, Mark Henry's on the shelf. Who are we calling up, or who are we going to start to push? Why? Why are you going to continue to jeopardize your athletes for what? For 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 subpar raw ratings, for lame o uh, pay per views that are that are just constantly being cranked out? There's usually a pay per view at minimum within three weeks of a previous pay per view. So. Your people are out there, and they're laying out, you know, thirty, forty, fifty bucks for a pay per view, whatever it is. At this point, I believe HD pay per views are sixty five dollars. I know they are for the UFC. You got your 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 fans laying out all this money, and some of their favorite wrestlers aren't even there because they're injured. Because you're beating them into the fucking ground. Uh, I'm sorry, this business practice that they have that they continue to use is is silly. It really is. I understand that you guys want to make these guys household names. But you know what? You also want to make sure that these guys can, when they're 50 years old, be able to take a shit without needing assistance to get off the toilet. Guys that, you know, may want to hug their kids without having to worry about having an ice bag on their shoulder. Guys that may not need rehab, like Scott Hall. Like Matt Hardy. XPac. I can go down the list of guys that, you know, they've just been beaten up by this industry and now, you know, they're battling these demons. But no, it's okay because, you know, we need this pay-per-view buy rate and we need to to push, you know, extreme rules or whatever garbage pay-per-view that isn't one of the big four. That's okay. I'm just going to sacrifice guys that have wives and families and livelihoods. But no, it's all right. It's okay because, you know, we want to sell t-shirts uh, with your face on them. You know, we can't take you off the road for a week because nobody's going to give a fuck about you. It's embarrassing. It's it's really unfortunate, and it's just plain fucking sad. So there you have it, folks. Rey Mysterio is off the road for 60 days. I would take a commercial break, but you know what? We got video game news, and there's quite a bit to discuss, so let's get right into it. Let's open up with Microsoft. Seems that uh, they've had a couple of drops this year, not making a, a lot of money in certain avenues. The 360 had a revenue of $1.6 billion. That's a 16% decrease from last year. Throughout those three quarters, the division's revenue has been $7.8 billion, which was up from 7.4. but the overall revenue is down. So th- basically what's happening is that the 360 sold 1.4 million units. That's a 48% that it's down 48% from last year. They lead the U S market by having a 42% market share, but their overall revenue is, is, is at a loss. And the reason is probably the following. It's the fact that there's not really, there's a big gap between titles at this point. And not only that, but, nobody's really buying three sixties we're at a we're at a point like a lot of consoles where everybody has a three sixty in some shape way or form whether it's one console, whether it 's one without a hard drive maybe for their kids or something like that. but there are three sixties out there to the point where like I said you gotta wonder, does everybody have one it's going to slow down, which is to be expected. I think that by putting out bigger titles and bundling them with systems and releasing little exclusives that really puts a jolt in the arm of of that particular division but i can see why it's winding down it's pretty much what happened with the wii as well and to an extent the ps3 but the ps3 is being embraced more since it's more of a multimedia machine with the blu-ray capabilities that it possesses not not terrible it's not a death knell for microsoft but I can see why the, the revenue has gone down. And we got a lot of stuff for Nintendo this week to discuss. First off, they got a new Super Mario Brothers game um, for the 3DS, which will be coming out in August in Japan and in North America as well. Uh, they're probably going to show the game at E3. Nintendo's also going to continue to cash in on their existing properties by putting out a 20th anniversary Kirby game. It's going to be a collection of older titles, and it's going to be released for the Wii later on this year. Even though you've got a brand new system coming out, sure, you know, we'll just throw a, a Kirby game on a home system instead of putting it on the 3DS. Yeah, sure, no problem. Let's just do that. Now, your what-the-fuck gaming news for this week involves the Connect, and it's a title being put out by Majesco called NBA Baller Beats which you'll have to play with a basketball. So let me get this straight. You're standing in front of your Kinect with a basketball in your house. The way that the game is going to be played is that you're going to bounce the ball to the beat of music. You're also going to perform various basketball moves. It's going to feature music by Kanye West, Run DMC, the Gorillas, the Crooked Vultures, Common, DJ Tiesto, and a whole bunch of other artists. You're probably going to be seeing the game at E3, but let me get this straight. You are taking a basketball and you're bouncing it in your house. You're bouncing a basketball in your house. Like it's all good. Not worried about the fact that the ball may, I don't know, slip out of your hands, break your television, break a window, hit your kid, hit you. Oh no, no, it's okay. It's no problem. That's what we're going to do. We're going to put out a game where you bounce a ball in your house. Great job, guys. Great job. And now, of course, the big news Nintendo's fiscal year for 2011 not so good. The company reported a $461 million loss for the last year, with net sales coming in at roughly $8 billion. They also said that on the 3DS side of things, that they've been selling the handheld under production costs since cutting the price. They're hoping to make a profit by March 2013 on the system. As of right now, they only have the following things to look forward to on the 3DS: a new Super Mario Brothers 2 and Animal Crossing. In addition to that, you have the Wii U, which is hopefully going to give them a bi- uh, give them a bigger boost as well. Now, here's the here's the thing that I wanted to really get into regarding this. A lot of blogs, a lot of gaming websites, people on Twitter, oh, you know, Nintendo, they're really going to they're going to probably go out of business, blah blah blah. Get your head out of your ass. Nintendo is nowhere near going out of business. They had a bad year, every company does. Can they turn it around is the real question. I think they can because they have a solid handheld with the 3DS. Nintendo's fucking problem is that they're not putting out enough first-party titles they're not and not only that when they put out first-party titles there is a huge gap between the titles to the point where your system is basically collecting dust that is the issue really is the 3ds is is a good system It, it has a lot of great titles on it but they are not squeezing the lemon for all it's worth It's ridiculous that all these great games that they have and they, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to release this game in January and then we're not going to release another game till June. Cause you know, that's the smart thing to do between that time. People are going to go and pick up the PlayStation Vita, which is what's been happening. I know a lot of people that have told me, you know, I traded in my, my, my 3ds and got the Vita. Oh, why'd you do that? Ah, eh, the Vita has some good games, and they're putting out a pretty uh, a pretty solid uh, launch lineup. All right, fair enough. Not only that, but they're they're keeping the Vita in the news. I always see commercials for the Vita. I don't see as many commercials from Nintendo anymore. They're really just like, oh, you know, you know, we should really try and make. A XYZ game. Nah, let's just crank out another Mario game. Or let's just crank out another Donkey Kong game. Because, you know, we don't have any other fucking original ideas. Seriously. Got nothing. They got nothing. It's a, it's absurd. I think that they have tremendous potential and they're not embracing it. And then the Wii. What, what was the last Wii game that they put out that was a must-buy? What another fresh coat of paint, Legend of Zelda, or another another Super Mario Brothers with another fresh coat of paint? Come on, guys, give me a fucking break! And the fact that they're only looking forward to two games, Animal Crossing and New Super Mario Brothers Two, is it, it disturbs me to no end. Really, the only two games you have to look forward to are Mario, another Mario, which is a rehash. And Animal Crossing, you got nothing else. No Kirby, no Donkey Kong, no F-Zero. What about a new Secret of Mana? Something, anything, something first party. Or what about some good third party games? How about uh, Killer Instinct on the 3DS? It's not going to happen, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe Goldeneye on the 3DS with Network Play. Something. I don't give a shit, but give me something that's new. It's the same thing I said with Sonic. Ah, yes, Slick, thank you for that reminder. Yes, Rare is owned by Microsoft. But again, what I'm saying is, you had all these great games from Nintendo's heyday that made, that made them a lot of money, and they had a lot of great third-party games that made them a lot of money, and they're just, they're just not doing it. It's a lot easier to put Mario in a fucking camel costume. You know, we're going to create camel Mario... Or we're going to create Mole Rat Mario. What about Hedgehog Mario? Hey, let's do something special. Let's dress up Mario like Sonic and make him run fast. The fuck? Why don't they just do that? Like I've said, you got a dying franchise in Sonic. You have a, 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 a shot in the arm required by Nintendo. Take Sonic, put him together with Mario, and put him in a fucking game. I say it every few weeks. Put Mario and Sonic in the same game. Put them in there. Stop making these two assholes go to the Olympics every fucking year. Stop making them play tennis. Stop making Mario play baseball, or basketball, or badminton, or fucking boggle, or whatever the fuck they're doing. Take the franchises, start putting them together, put Mario on the fucking iPhone, and make some money. Seriously. I guarantee you, if you said, hey, Nintendo's going to create a Mario game for the iPod and the iPhone, it would make a fuckload of money. Yeah, it's going to cannibalize into the 3DS, but guess what? Who the fuck is buying it at this point? Everybody has an iPhone. Everybody has an iPod in some, in some shape or form. So start milking that, that aspect of, of revenue. I guarantee you, if you said, and I'm not telling you, I'm not telling Nintendo to put out, you know, for great first-party 3DS games, but take Super Mario Brothers. One, fuck, put Gyromite on, on a fucking iPhone. I don't give a shit. Maybe do Duck Hunt. I think if you put Duck Hunt on the iPhone and you use your finger as the reticle, people would enjoy that. Something different, something that Nintendo hasn't done before. Take some risks. Dude, that's, that's what concerns me the most. Nintendo doesn't want to take any risks. They want to continue to use their antiquated safe thinking, and they want to stay in their little bubble with Mario and Shigeru Miyamoto and fucking Reggie and not make any real money. That's, that That's really what it is. They're, they're scared to make extreme decisions. Put out something different. Gamble a little bit. The only way that you got to make money in this business, and it's any business, is taking risks. If you don't take risks, you're getting fucked. Simple as that. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll use the show as a perfect example. Blog World is in June. The ticket to Blog World is $150. $150 ticket to go to Blog World. And that's only because I bought it in February. Every month that you don't buy that ticket, that ticket goes up. I believe now in April, the ticket is $300. Now, a lot of people are saying, dude, why are you going to pay $200 to go to a convention? I'll tell you why. It's not the going to the convention. It's the going out there to expose your brand. It's the risk of spending the $200 to do something to grow your company, to, to look at new technology. Nintendo, Nintendo's not doing that. They, they, they're satisfied with putting fresh coats of paint on their games and not taking any legitimate risks. Put out some M-rated games. Start embracing shit like GTA. Get Rockstar in the fold. Do something. And then here's the, here's the other thing. You got the Wii U coming out. And allegedly, you'll be able to use all the stuff from the Wii. And you're going to be able to use the two touchscreens. Here's a question. How much are each of those touch screens going to be? because if you look at it this way, when the PS3 came out, you know people paid the five six hundred dollars, but that novelty died off very quickly. We are still battling a recession. If Nintendo thinks that they're going to put out a brand new console for five hundred dollars on the on the on the merits that it has a touchscreen controller, nobody's going to give a fuck about it. They're not because they're going to get twice the hardware. On the PS3. They're going to get a better online experience on the 360. Nintendo needs to come out of the gate with something strong. Simple as that. And all these blogs and everything talking about the death knell of Nintendo. Nintendo is not going anywhere. They lost some money, yes. But they just really need to sit down and, and look at their business model to see where they're failing. That's all it is. Nintendo is not going out of business. They're not getting out of the hardware business. They just made some bad investments. Number one was putting out that 3DS for $250. That was a bad investment. It was because nobody was going to take that money. Nobody. Nobody was going to take $250 and buy that system without a solid, solid, solid crop of games. If Slick if slick is on if Slick is in the uh, Switchboard, I I need him to call in because I Slick bought a 3DS when it came out. And I want to ask him how many first-party games he owns currently and how many games he plays on his 3DS. Because, you know, Slick is a commuter. So I want to ask only because he'd be able to give some insight into that. Because for me, personally, I think that I'm not versed on acknowledging the strength of their handhelds because I don't play them as much. Let me bring him on real quick. Slick, what's up brother? What's up man? Well, you see that, which I'm sure you've heard. Everybody's talking about, Oh Nintendo. Oh, they're going to die. They're not going to fucking die. They just need to, to look at their business model. But in your case, you bought the 3ds when it dropped. How many games do you own for the system? By the chuckle uh, i I'm imagining less than ten less than five less than five wow all right now what why haven't you bought games for that system
3: like I said it's not even that they're not putting out good third part I mean good first party games it really feels like there's not much coming out for it that's worth playing I mean. There there are, lately, there's a few games that I've wanted to play that just, you know, budgeting hasn't allowed me to, like, there's Kid and I forget the name of it, but there's this game that's sort of like, um, Fatal Frame, it's like, you get sucked into this book, it's like some Japanese horror mystery and shit, but it, it looks interesting, but I just haven't gotten a chance to, to
0: pick it up. Well here's here's the thing that here's the thing that disturbs me. Nintendo came out of the gate with a two hundred and fifty dollar system. Everybody had sticker shock. And Nintendo said, Oh, you know, you shouldn't have sticker shock because you're gonna have one of the best three D experiences ever. How much of a factor is three D on the games that you're playing? I mean,
3: it's cool, but I mean, I say it all the time. It doesn't matter how great the 3D looks in a movie or a game. That shit is just not necessary. Especially since, I mean, certain movies have, you know, given off a 3D effect without 3D. And it it looks, you know, in some cases better than real 3D. I mean, you can do that shit without without the actual 3D.
0: Well, here's 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 another question. Why haven't you picked up a PlayStation Vita and you picked up a 3DS? Uh
3: one because I got caught up in the hype. It's actually the fault of the the 3DS that I haven't picked up a PlayStation Vita, but I It really goes back to the the um PSC because I got a PSP the day that shit came out. And to this day, I, pr- I, I would say I own maybe 10 games if I really look hard for them.
0: Okay. Now here's... and
3: Go ahead. I was going to say that Right now, there's nothing on the the Vita that I really care about because they're they're decent games, but the ones that I might play, I already have on a console, and those games are not boosting. I'm I'm boasting the biggest feature of the the Vita, which is being able to continue the game on the Vita that you started on the ps 3 until there's a good crop of games where you can do that, I see no reason to give this
0: either. Yeah, well, they recently announced... You know, they recently announced, oh, they're going to put Skype on it, blah, blah, blah. Nobody gives a shit about that stuff. The thing that kills me is this is not the death knell for Nintendo. No, I don't think so either. It's not. and And frankly, I really would like to see Nintendo take a risk. Take some of those old, old, old Nintendo games. I'm not saying, you know put, put uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers 3 on there, but, you know, take, like, Super Mario 1, Duck Hunt, you know, some of those solid first-party games, even the original Legend of Zelda, which people are playing with emulators anyway. It's like, why are you going to let these people that crank out these emulators make bread when you can make that money? You have you have an iPod. If somebody said, hey, we're going to put Super Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong on on, on your iPod, would you buy it?
3: Yeah, but we we've had this discussion before. Yep. Nintendo's never gonna put that shit on an
0: American product. Of course they wouldn't, but you know what? Considering the loss that they posted, it's like I said, they should be taking some risks. They should stop, you know, sitting in this bubble thinking that the you know the the marquee characters that have made them money are gonna hold them up. It's not gonna work forever.
3: But even even Sega has that problem because even though you can play Sonic on on um, PS3 or on the 360, which which company is the only one that's actually been able to use Sonic to implement in their own titles? The Japanese company.
0: Right, but that's because the problem is that Nintendo. Look, Nintendo and Sega have such a great relationship that they really should work united. That's the thing that kills me. Like, you have a, a company with great characters, great mascots. Start using that resource.
3: Well, what I, what I mean by that is you don't see, like, um, Naughty Dogs reinventing Altered beasts or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. just like with Nintendo... Sega's not sharing this shit with the American
0: companies. Yeah, well, and you see why Sega continues to post fucking bullshit because they continue to rest on their laurels with fucking Sonic 8, you know? Like, oh, here's Sonic 8. Oh, it plays just like Sonic 2, which you all enjoyed. Yeah, Sonic 8 is like just like Sonic 2. It's, uh, once again, it's like, there's more to that character than just red sneakers and a and a, and a fox with a helicopter tail. There's an entire universe that you can expand on and do a lot with, and not turning him into a fucking wear Hedgehog with stretchable, with stretch Armstrong arms. Not that shit, but I mean the legit stuff that made Sonic important.
3: Oh, like you said, that's why Sega's still basically
0: now Nintendo's bitch pretty much i think the the only thing i want to that the, the reason i had brought you on was because you you have a better understanding of the handheld market because you know you play you you buy more of their of, of the handheld product for me you know i drive to work and most of my gaming is done on the television occasionally i'll will play a game on, on on a on a mobile device or on my ipad but it's not on the same level as you know somebody somebody playing a full on game on a handheld not even
3: that, it goes back to, like, the Game Boy days. What happened when there was a new game, like, every other week that you just had to play? And it wasn't just because you were a little kid, because the games were fucking good. Yep. Like, I have more games for the original Game Boy than I owned for the Wii.
0: But you know what it is, too, and this is something which is going to take me on a complete other tangent. It's the fact that back then, you'd play a game, you'd beat a game, and you'd get thank you for playing, you'd appreciate it, and you'd move the fuck on. Now, if, if gamers aren't catered to and given the white glove treatment, they piss and moan. They complain and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's like, the gaming has evolved substantially, and yeah, sure, some of the games they throw in the fucking towel, but if you don't fight for those classics that made gaming what it is today to get the correct treatment, they're never going to be given justice. Simple as that.
3: Yeah, it's like, I mean, Mass Effect players, and not saying anything, I mean, obviously, for once, Players spoke up and got something done. Of course, it's not when anything's fucking important.
0: Nope.
3: Mass Effect players complain because they didn't get the ending they wanted. They didn't get their closure. It didn't make any fucking sense. I complain. I just beat Prototype 2. I complain because there's barely an ending. It's like the shit just ends in roll credits.
0: Yeah, it's but not you're... like
3: Mass Effect, where there's like a 10 minute ending, I'm
0: just dissatisfied with it. Right, you feel empty really no really you feel you feel empty is what you're saying I think I think the problem Basically. is it, I think the problem like I said is there's there's more style over substance, and sometimes going back to basics, like in Nintendo's case, the problem is they never got out of the basics. <laughs> That's Nintendo's problem. They never got out of the fucking basics. I'd take a risk. I'd be like, listen, you know, let's throw some of these games on some mobile devices and start bringing in a secondary revenue stream. Like I said, I'm not telling them to put fucking Pokemon Black on there. But, what you know, those games that are collecting dust that people will still play.
3: They did start to get out of the basics with the 64. Then they went with the GameCube and, like, did a fucking 180.
0: Yeah, the fucking GameCube with the fucking Lunchbox handle, which, to this day, I ask myself what was it was it a purse like what the fuck were you doing with that? oh,
3: it makes it portable just to make
0: it easy to take it to
3: your fucking friends house. yeah, but
0: who walks around like a wandering minstrel with their fucking console in their book bag who seriously <laughs> like 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 I want you to come to my house and and in your book bag, I want to open the bag and see an xbox three sixty in there, and I want you to tell me. Oh, I just figured I'd bring my Xbox over, and we could plug it in and play. You are not gonna fucking do that. No,
3: because my fucking Xbox 360
0: is like a freaking ghostbuster power proton packing shit. There you go. But that's what I'm saying. Like, shit like that, like Nintendo, and their fucking... I understand you want to be different. You know, they want to be genetically different. But come on. I'm hearing that uh, that Quark wants to get in on this conversation too. You have anything else you want to add? No, not for not right
3: now.
0: All right, cool. All right, bring up, uh, see if Mister Quark is prepped. and We can bring him on because I'm sure he's going to be very vocal. All right, bro. Talk to you later. All right, my dude. I'll bring you. I'll bring you in for movies because I know there's some stuff I know you're going to want to discuss. All
3: right, please. Peace.
0: I tell you, I think I think the funny thing is that whenever we discuss Nintendo and their business model on this show, we get so many different opinions. I know that that DK is in there going hard, and you know he doesn't agree with some of the stuff, and and that that's what makes talking about Nintendo so so important because you know it's it's a, it's a it's a big deal. The captain that is Quark. What is up? What's up, man? I'm all right. good. all right, dude. Let's hear it. What do you got?
1: I you you brought up like fifty topics on Nintendo. Um, can I go back to like people were saying that they're gonna like close down business and become like Sega? Oh yeah, go, go You could do it. Feel yeah. free to go I,
0: back to that because that was everywhere.
1: Yeah. I don't today. I I don't get it. It's like it's what is it? Sega lost their first like amount of money ever, right? Like, it's the first time they lost profit. Yep. Am I like correct with that? Okay. So it's the first time this ever happened to them and people are freaking out thinking they are become like Sega. But what are these people when like Sony had like four years stuck in a row with the PS three? That's
0: you right. You know what I
1: mean? You didn't see anyone talking about them like closing down. Fucking paperweight. I just don't get it. It's like yeah, Nintendo's like top like top of the game. They have so much I saw someone in the chat said uh said they had um they had so much money for years, and people are saying I'm quoting them. I'm not even quoting them. I'm just saying people in general. I've heard like other people say that um, Nintendo's going to close down. But I don't, I don't see the problem. I mean, they're still selling Wii's. 3DSs are still selling more than Vita's. I haven't heard anyone buy a Kinect. What, is Xbox going to go out of business now because of just the Kinect failed? Like, no, I, I,
0: no I, I understand where you're coming from. Here's, here's, my, here's the, the, the problem. Nintendo is definitely still at the top of the game in the handheld market. But the problem is that the playing field is getting spread out where Nintendo's, yeah. the Nintendo's uh, grasp at number one is is in jeopardy. I'm more concerned about Nintendo not being number one and being beaten by mobile gaming. By the, you know, pretty oh much God, by yeah.
1: Apple. Apple. Apple can yeah, come... Go ahead. Oh yeah, um, we were talking about at school, like people, like, people in my school are like playing Pokemon now, and we were saying how much money they can make it. They just brought, like, Pokemon Red from like the original game boy to the ipod. You know what I mean? People would gladly shell out two bucks to play Pokemon on their ipod. You know how much money they would just make from an old Pokemon game.
0: Well, that's the problem. Like 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 a lot of people were saying in the chat, Nintendo is about keeping it Japanese. They you know, they don't want to give yeah. they don't want to give any money to an American company. And the and the bad part about this is that Apple has been slowly stepping their game up. Slowly but surely, oh. every 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 phone gets better. Every iPod gets better graphics, to where games like Infinity Blade look look really really good. We've seen you know the the Unreal Engine running on on, on Apple devices. Before you know it, Nintendo's going to be hanging out thinking that everything's safe, and Apple's going to come and take it out right out from under them.
1: Yeah, I saw it I think uh, Blade was playing Infinity Blade Two on his uh, on his iPad. It looked almost as good as the new kid icarus game i was like really this ipad a game that he bought for six dollars looks better than my full forty dollar release game
0: there you go but that's that's the problem they want it they want to keep it they want to keep it internal which is fine but like i said they got to take some risks some somewhere else either they got to put out more first party titles that are original titles or they got to start you know sharing some of those smaller like like you were saying you know take like take a pokemon red and throw that shit out there for two, three bucks, and make some money.
1: Yeah, because, uh, like you said, uh, they don't hate money. You know what I mean? They might hate American products, but they don't hate money. Hell
0: no, they don't hate money. It's just a shame that they post this loss, and we've become uh, pretty much a, a society of people that expect the worst. It's like Nintendo's not going anywhere. The only thing that's in jeopardy is their number one spot. That's really it. And it sure as fuck isn't Sony taking it. Not yet, at least.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is, man, but um, it's kind of like going nowhere, man. That, that that what's it called, the new Wii U? I think that's going to come out. That'll be fine. Hopefully, like uh, what we're hearing that it's not even as powerful as the Xbox isn't true. Hopefully, they uh, yeah, that'll suck, dude. Figure the deal out and get a, a next gen console. I don't want I don't want another glorified GameCube. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I, I'll ask you this before before we we wrap it up. If if the system yeah. was five hundred bucks. Would you buy it?
1: Five hundred bucks. Five (laughs) hundred. Well, well, no. I'm
0: saying it just from the standpoint of, you know, the PS3 came out. It was five hundred bucks. I'm saying, you know, I'm sure if you get it as a gift or whatever. But would you? Would you think somebody would drop five hundred dollars to buy you that system? Uh, We don't
1: know it. No, it's too weird. (laughs) <laughs> People are going to look at this. It's like, is this is this a fake iPod? Is it a new Wii Wii U? Is it for me or is it for you? What's going on? No, <laughs> no one's going to spend five hundred dollars on some random new kind of ish GameCube thing, and no one knows about.
0: That's what I needed to hear. See that, that yeah, the the, I, the, no. the success of that is is going to be the price more than anything.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, you need to, but the Wii was fine. That's why everyone bought the Wii. We came out at such a good time where everyone had no money. You could buy the Wii for chump change, you know what I mean?
0: Hell yeah, I remember that. It got to the point, remember when, yeah, when, uh, yeah. when the Wii Fit came out, everybody bought that shit. It's like, oh, it's
1: $100. Yeah, exactly. No one's going to want to pay $500 for a weird new tablet thing. I mean, jeez, I like Nintendo. I really don't even know what this thing can do, you know what I mean?
0: Dude, for, for, for less money than $500, you buy an iPad. And you get something that still does yeah, gaming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Anything else you wanted to add, dude? Uh, uh final thing, uh final pretty much word. Nintendo ain't going nowhere, ain't gonna be the next fucking Sega. It's fine. And it's <laughs> going nowhere quick. I see PS three not making another uh Sony not making another console for Nintendo.
0: Duly noted. That not is well. all. Alright, my dude. Peace.
1: Right. See ya.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Quark. Make sure to check out some of Quark's reviews, and of course, Quark and Blade, and Blade and Quark's buried or just buried, effective next week on mytakeradio.com. I know that um, we have another caller potentially coming on shortly. Um, to To touch on what Quark said, also, I really, I really see. I, I would, I would almost have to say that Sony would bow out of the console race quicker than Nintendo would only because Sony's in incredible restructuring. I'm not saying they are. So before anybody says, Oh man, Rich is saying that Sony's going to fucking die. I'm not saying that, but I do have to give merit to what Quark was saying that, that, that Sony would throw in the towel. If it got really, really desperate, Sony would throw in the towel before Nintendo. That's all I'm saying. I got, I got to, I got to give merit where merit is due. And I see that, uh, Cass is on the line. Let me bring her on. Hey, Cass, what's up?
2: Hey, Rich. Um, I just kind of wanted to comment on, like, the whole Nintendo thing. Like you guys have said, it's not going anywhere. Um, and something that Quark said about bringing, like, old-school Pokemon games to, like, um, phones and stuff. Uh, I totally agree with that. Like, my little sister, she's got an emulator on her phone for Pokemon Silver. If Nintendo chose to capitalize on that, I mean, they could make a big bank.
0: They would be swimming to Scrooge McDuck money. Imagine that.
2: Definitely. And uh, as far as, like, the 3DS goes, I think Nintendo's problem is not so much that they're developing games for kids, but I think if they capitalized on developing games for older players, because, I mean, come on, no kids shelling out. What did it launch for, like, $250? Yep. Mostly adults bought that console, and if they developed more games for older players, I think that they would do a lot better
0: yeah I think the problem is exactly that they realize that it, it's easy to get the casuals and the kids, but at the end of the day you need to get the adults because hello they're the one that get the fucking checks
2: <laughs> exactly, and that's what Sony and Microsoft and that's what you know that's why they 've done so well is that they've realized that a lot of gamers today are you know teenagers and uh, adults you know like you and me
0: oh i think I think that going that route would be fantastic. I think that with the 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 easier online capability of a three d s and you put like a like a call of duty on there I'd say if they did a two d call of duty uh hand drawn a call of duty. yeah do a do a two d call of duty hand drawn and you know have some fun with it they'd make some money,
2: yeah definitely, yeah I think they just need to realize that you know not everybody's and i think that's why they're still successful is that they're still the go to company for parents to buy yep. their kids' games but they could expand their market so much more if they started developing with older players in mind.
0: Well, adults, especially older adults, refer to every console as a Nintendo. It's like referring to tissues as <laughs> Kleenex. So, Exactly. Y- 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 you know as well as I do. We all got the, the, the old Spanish person in our house that goes, Oh, you're going to play the Nintendo? And it's like, it's a, it's a PlayStation. <laughs> Yeah, those,
2: my grandparents were like that too
0: there you go so you know they have they have the, the name recognition to do something big I just like I said they're fucking yeah. scared
2: they've got all the resources and to, they could totally start developing new characters and new you know new games and they just need to kind of step out from their safe zone and...
0: I agree I agree 100% you got cool. anything else to add uh, not really. Alright, cool. I, I, on
2: your
0: point. I, I, appreci- I appreciate you uh, popping in and definitely calling in. It's always welcome to hear your voice.
2: Oh, thanks. It's always great to talk to you.
0: Alright, I will see you around. Alright. Adios. Peace. Cass is also right. You know, you're playing an emulator on your fucking iPod, which you probably downloaded from some site, or, or you finagled onto your iPod when Nintendo could be making that money. I'm telling you, I could probably do an entire show just dedicated to fucking Nintendo, but we're not going to do that. Alright, that's actually going to wrap up the gaming segment. Yes, yes it is. Let's get into the movies, well, let's get into entertainment because we've kind of expanded beyond movies at this point. Shall we? All right, let's talk some movies. Well, let's talk some entertainment. First up, everybody's face of favorite face of MMA, Gina Carano, is up for a role in Fast and Furious 6. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the MMA star is being targeted by Justin Lin for a role in the film, which opens May 24th, 2013. She will join returning cast members Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Dwayne Johnson, and also Michelle Rodriguez. As of right now, the plot is being kept under wraps, but somehow I almost feel that Gina Carano will be the uh, partner for The Rock. I, I I see her playing a cop in this movie and, and her having a, a nice throwdown with Michelle Rodriguez, much like uh, Vin Diesel had with The Rock. I think it'll work. I think she has enough mainstream re- appeal at this point to transition well into movies like Fast and the Furious. So we'll keep an eye out on that. And if I get more news, of course, I will report it here. Next up, here's here's something that um I was pleasantly surprised to hear. For those of you that are fans of DC Comics, you'll probably know this. They are saying that they will be working and, well, work has begun on releasing a film based on Lobo, the Bounty Hunter. Uh, very popular, considered the equivalent of Marvel's Wolverine in the DC Universe. Initially, a rarely used villain back in the 80s, was reborn as an anti-hero biker in the 90s, and and he became one of the most popular characters in DC. Uh, I'm actually a big Lobo fan. I like his penchant for violence. Not only that, but any guy that shoots Santa Claus in the face in a comic book is A-OK in my book. So uh, props to DC for that. As of right now, it seems that Brad Payton, who directed Journey to Mysterious Island, has signed on to rewrite and direct the film, and the film is being produced by Joel Silver and Akiva Goldman. I don't have any release dates yet or any film schedules, but as soon as I get them, I will let you know what the deal is with that. In some Marvel movie news, Variety is reporting that Guy Pearce is in talks to play geneticist Aldrich Killian in Iron Man 3. As of right now, Robert Downey Jr., of course, will be reprising his role as Tony Stark. Joining him, as always, Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, and Scarlett Johansson will be returning. Ben Kingsley is rumored to play the villain, which I believe has been confirmed, and Shane Black will direct. So far, the plot for this film is going to borrow elements from Warren Ellis' Extremist six-issue miniseries, which heavily influenced part of the first film um production is going to start in may and filming is going to be in north carolina uh right now they have it targeted for a may 3rd 2013 release date the first iron man film earned 585 million dollars worldwide iron man 2 earned 624 million so rest assured we will be seeing a lot more iron man films for the time being in some other Marvel news, uh, the the head of Marvel Studios, Kevin Fage, uh, told the Hey You Guys show that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch could conceivably appear in a second Avengers film. Fage went on to say, That the two characters that are children of Magneto originated in the X-Men comics and eventually, of course, will become members of the Avengers. As of right now, 20th Century Fox, which has the rights for X-Men, and Marvel have legal access to Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in their respective films. So, you can basically see Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in an X-Men film, but you can also see them in the Avengers and they probably can conceivably be two separate incarnations. So there you have it. Because, you know, Marvel, in, in, their, in their grand scheme of wisdom, don't bring all these properties in-house and start making them all take place in the same universe. Spider-Man is, has and always will be a member of the Avengers. The fact that he can't even pop up as a cameo is disturbing to me. Seriously. Seriously. You could do so much with that. Same thing with Wolverine, who's been a member of the Avengers. You can do little things like that. It's not, I'm not saying put them in the movie with extreme lines of dialogue, but you know what? Why can't Tony Stark be watching uh, a television screen from his office and see, you know, the news talking about a webbed wall crawler uh, that stopped a bank robbery? You know, why can't you do that shit? Why can't you just... I'm not telling you to do huge speaking parts, but just little things like that. Why can't you have um, Tony Stark go to Vegas to, you know, do some gambling and Wolverine is in a bar drinking and he has his the eye patch on as his patch persona. Just little things like that. Just little nods in continuity that would just make people be like, oh, that's pretty fucking cool. Or it's like, for those of you that don't know, if we've talked about these Easter eggs, when you saw The Incredible Hulk, there was a deleted scene where Bruce Banner went to commit suicide. He turned into the Hulk, caused the avalanche that you got to see um, Captain America buried in the ice. I remember telling Slick about that, and we looked at it in slow-mo. Just little things like that. You know, Thor's hammer at the end of the credits. You know, the Infinity Gauntlet in, in, in the weapons room in the Thor film. There's so many. There's so many different things you could do, but, you know... The, the 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 splintering of the universe, the fragmentation, is, is definitely something that is a hindrance in my opinion. Let's talk about Battleship, and surprisingly, it is making a fuckload of money internationally. Deadline has reported that Battleship has topped the $100 million mark in 10 days of international release, with the expectation being that it will hit $126 million by tomorrow. Universal's decision to release the movie overseas before the U.S. has turned out to be very good. The movie is scheduled to be released here in the U.S. May 18th. I can't even believe that, that, inter- that internationally this movie's already broke $100 million. <laughs> it boggles my fucking mind, ladies and gents. Let's talk box office numbers. The Hunger Games was dethroned this week in the box office. Think Like a Man, based on the Steve Harvey book, was number one, thirty-three million dollars. The Lucky One was number two with Zac Efron. Hunger Games placed, thir- placed third. Chimpanzee, the Disney documentary, was fourth. The Three Stooges was fifth. Cabin in the Woods was sixth. American Reunion was seven. Titanic 3D was eight. Twenty One Jump Street was nine, and Mirror Mirror was ten. Of course, this week we got Jason Statham Safe opening in theaters, which hopefully I'll be able to check out and review on MyTakeRadio.com. Last bit of movie news to tie things up. The Amazing Spider-Man, of course, uh, is going to be in theaters this summer. There will be a new trailer attached to The Avengers, and also there will be a trailer for The Dark Knight Rises attached to The Avengers, which will be out May 4th. Now, The Amazing Spider-Man hasn't even come out in theaters yet, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is already being worked on with an expected release date of May 2nd, 2014. Superhero write, superhero Hype reports that Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi are joining the franchise to write the screenplay for the film. Of course, Kurtz, Kurtzman and Orsi have a huge resume of great writing credits, including Star Trek, Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Eagle Eye, and Mission Impossible 3. They ended up releasing a statement as follows. We grew up as huge uh, uh, as huge Spider-Man fans, so to us, the opportunity to work on this film is akin to being handed the Holy Grail. We love the direction Sony and the filmmakers are taking the Peter Parker Spider-Man mythology, and we wouldn't be more excited, well, we couldn't be more excited to be a part of this legendary franchise. So there you have it, folks. Spider-Man 2 is already being worked on, and Spider-Man 1 is not even out yet. So, real crazy shit. It's going to be, honestly, another summer where I end up going to the movie theater more times than I'd like to admit. Um, Like I said, you got Spider-Man, you got the Dark Knight, you got the Avengers, you got the Hobbit later on this year. So, it's for as much as as the Hollywood bitches that they're not making money, people are still going to the theater. I went uh, this past Saturday... With uh, with my wife, to I t- I finally took her to see the Hunger Games, and I will admit it wasn't a festering pile of shit. It was surprisingly good, and um, I can at 10 o'clock in the morning because we went to see the first show because I hate people. I'm an antisocial piece of shit, and anybody that talks in a movie theater deserves to be shot. Um, we went in there at 10 o'clock in the morning, and the theater was packed full of white-haired senior citizens who were all delightfully quiet. The only things you got to hear during the film was the opening of candy that they bought in Target and the occasional cough because, you know, they're fucking dying. Seriously. Um, old people are fantastic for matinee showings because they don't say shit. Who knows? Some of them may probably die when you're watching the movie, so they'll be extra quiet, which is all good, you know. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Kind of anyway. Fact was Hunger Games was good. There was no noise. I will I will tell you this and I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't want to use this in the opening monologue because it wasn't that serious. There's a scene in the Hunger Games when somebody dies and there was a, a younger girl behind me. There was one of maybe three young people in the theater, including myself and, and the misses. This chick was really crying. Like, I mean, oh my God, I got boogers in my nose. And she was like. (laughs) When the camera, I'm like, wow, you're really fucking crying. Do you need a tissue, bitch? Holy shit. She is really crying. I was like, damn. She was like. (laughs) She was really like broken up. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the scene was very, was powerful. But I don't know. I guess maybe because I'm a heartless piece of shit. I'm like, all right, the character's dead. Move on. You know, I I, I don't feel the connection. I actually have more of a connection. Like, I have a thing with kids getting killed in movies. I'm really weird about shit like that. And I'm not talking about grown-ass kids that jerk off in the bathroom when their mom ain't looking. I'm talking about, you know, little toddlers and, and little kids and shit. That shit fucks me up. It really does. Anything else, yeah, you're fucking 12 years old, you jerk off, and you watch fucking blurry porn, and you get killed, eh, but you know, you're a five-year-old kid that gets a face hugger on you and fucking aliens, that's gonna fuck me up. I'm really weird with that, and I think it's because I saw, when I was younger, I saw a movie called Strapped with Bokeem Woodbine, and you know, Bokeem Woodbine is an Oscar-winning actor. If you don't know who he is, IMDB is your friend. Anyway, Bakim Woodbine was in a movie called Strapped and, you know, typical gangbanger movie they gave on HBO. And there was a scene in that movie where he robbed a grocery store. And, um, you know, he was robbing the grocery store and he heard a a rattling in a shelf and and he fired. And there was a little girl and she's standing there shocked. And, you know, he's looking at the little girl like, what are you looking at? And the little girl, like there was a pool of blood on her chest it just fucked me up when i was younger i'm like holy shit a, a kid getting shot in a movie like that was huge for me and it just it it didn't like like scar me or anything emotionally but it was just something that definitely struck a nerve seriously that's that's kind of one of those things that definitely did kind of eh, you know it ruffled some feathers but um it it was crazy it was crazy um but yeah this chick totally baller her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh my god and holy shit she's legit crying and you know it's like like you couldn't turn around and be like hey hey stupid shut up it's a movie you know it's like alright let the let. she cried for like 5 or 6 minutes and then she sniffled for another 10 it's not the worst thing in the world so whatever it wasn't as bad as when Slick and I went to the advanced screening of Wrath of the Titans I can tell you right now that if I could have got a Gatling gun and proceeded to chop down that entire audience I would have if I could have dropped a small tactical nuclear device in that building during that film, I would have done it. It was it was it was probably one of the one, top 5 most annoying movie experiences. Seriously. Um with regards to that, it's been it's been rumored, I don't know how official it is yet, that we will be attending the screening for Dark Shadows. So be on the lookout for that. I figured I'd share that with you guys. And uh, we got a couple of awesome sponsors lined up that will be debuting in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. And I know you guys are in there probably asking yourselves, is Rich really that much of a psycho in public? Yes, the fuck I am. I am the guy that pushed a kid into a pile of paper towels in Target because he was running around the store screaming like a fucking idiot. Yes, I shoved a kid into the big pile of paper towels that Target puts on an end cap. And then you know what happened? They all fell on him. I laughed. And my wife goes, did you push that kid into the paper towels? And I I said, yes. Yes, I did. And then I proceeded to run like Michael Cera in all those fucking terrible movies he does into another aisle and disappear. Yes. Yes, I am that guy. I will trip a toddler if he is an annoying fuck. Yes. Yes, I will. I will call your kid an asshole. To your face. Yes, I have done that. My wife has done it too. But, seriously, it's a, it, I, can, I can go on a rant about civilization and home training, but it's a story for another day. Anyway, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 137, folks. We are three episodes away from the big 140 and 13 episodes away from the big 150. We are going to go hard all the way to 150. We're going to make it memorable. We're going to do all kinds of crazy shit. I'm super excited. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of amped today. I am. Anyway, My Take Radio episode 137 is in the books. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you have any questions or concerns, or would like to leave some feedback, and don't want to send an email, we do have a feedback line: 0 347-8150. MTR is the number. If you don't want your uh, audio clip played on the show, please make sure to specify that. Social networks: we are on them. You can follow us on Twitter at MyTakeRadio. You can follow Slick at MTR Slick. You can follow Quark at Andrew Coolcat. You can follow Blade at John U Butler. You can follow Ben at Blackout89. Andrea is Andrea underscore MTR. Josh is at Josh Fold F-U-L-D, at one word, altogether one word, and those are all our handles on Twitter. You can also ask us questions on Formspring, Formspring, M-E, forward slash, My Take Radio. We are in the wastelands of MySpace. If you still use that shit, look for us there. Add us to your circle on Google+. And, of course, make sure to pick up the official My Take Radio app available in the Android and iOS Marketplace, a.k.a. iTunes. It is $1.99. It is cheaper than a combo at McDonald's. Also, got to throw a shout-out to uh, DK. He does not have a Twitter, but you can always look for him in the Facebook fan page, and he'll interact with you there. And, of course, he will interact with you on his articles as well. He needs to get himself a Twitter You hear that, Steven? Get a fucking Twitter. Anyway, there you have it. Add us to your circle on Google+. Pick up the apps. Like I said, it's $1.99. And if you're cheap, you can always listen to MTR free via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zune Marketplace, Blueberry, and a couple of other outlets as well. Be on the lookout for MTR to debut on the boxy service. We are also on Miro. And we will be doing some video stuff in the near future. You can still subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, it's YouTube.com forward slash My Take Radio TV. There you have it. I will tell you this. If you are getting all the free MTR stuff and you don't want to pick up the apps, you're going to miss out on Beyond the Mic, Behind the Mic, the Minority Film Report, mobile device wallpapers, and tons of other stuff as well. It's the best $1.99 you spent and it'll help us out. Make sure to check out the Amazon affiliate store. Pick up some MTR t-shirts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, click some banners. Otherwise, I will have to come and look for you. I'm out of here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your continued support and helping us break 3000 fans. I'm out of here. That's all,
3: folks.
0: I think we are going to go out with a little bit of Killer Instinct since I talked about it earlier in the show. And it's going to be Trailblazer, the music for Cinder. Peace.